following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, we're in the book of Jude, and we're, we've just started, but we've almost finished, because it's such a short book. But this is just a, a short little five-week series through this short book of the Bible, but um, full of challenge, right? Full of encouragement. Uh, there's some difficult stuff. There's some strange stuff. Hopefully, you've had a chance to read through this book. If you haven't, there's still time. Next week's the last week, but just have a read. It'll only take you five minutes because there's only 25 verses, but have a read of the book of Jude for yourself and just get the, get the thread, the flow of this, uh, of this little book. But if you've got a Bible, open it up. It's almost... At the end, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far, backtrack a little bit. If you've got the Bible on an app, uh, open it up. We're going to be in this passage, which is from verse 20 through to 23 this morning. Olivia Warner is going to come and read this for us, I believe. Thank you, Olivia. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. But be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy, mixed with fear, hating hating that even hating even the clothing stained by the crapped flesh. Thanks, Olivia. Great. Uh, Many of you who are Christians will have had at some stage the experience of having, knowing someone else who's a Christian, walk away from the faith. And those of you that that have had that experience, just think about that person in your life, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, someone who used to be a Christian, uh, and then for whatever reason, walked away and gave it up. Sometimes that, that happens quickly. Something happens in somebody's life. There's trauma. There's an event. They get mad at God. They, they don't want this anymore. They are sick of this faith that they used to have, and they give it up. Other times, it happens slowly, and there's a drift. And you might have experienced this maybe in your own life or someone that you know, and there's kind of just this gradual drifting away from God. It's drifting away from church, drifting away from faith, drifting away from any kind of anchoring in uh, their faith in Christ. And eventually, they are walking a completely different path from you. I think it's one of the saddest things that you can go through as a Christian to have a brother or sister in Christ that you knew, and you used to be walking with that person, and they used to be on the same road as you. And then one day, you realize you're on totally different roads and totally different paths, and that person's life is going in a really different direction. And when that happens... Sometimes in our, in our quiet moments, and we might not admit this to anyone else, but sometimes if that happens to someone else, we start to think, could that happen to me? Like if it, if it happened, to, like if they walked away, and I thought they were so grounded and so solid, like if that's, what's to say that one day that won't be me? And that can become then really destabilizing for our faith. And we wonder if we've got the kind of faith that's going to go the distance. They're tough questions and very tough experiences to go through. And this is the kind of experience that Jude is writing into. Jude thought, starting out, that he was going to be writing a pretty encouraging letter. He says that in the first few verses, but early on he had to change tact 
because he has such a burden and he's got such a concern for people that he knew in these various churches who were walking away. And you can imagine he was probably just hearing story after story of person after person who was giving it up and walking away and throwing in the towel. In this context, it was because of all the influence of the false teachers infiltrating these churches, influencing, seducing, and enticing people away from the faith towards a total distorted, perverted version of the Christian faith, towards ways of living that were really harmful and damaging and destructive. And one by one, people were just being allured into this false teaching and this false doctrine and this false way of living. And Jude was seeing it happen. He must have had a sense of helplessness about it. And so he writes out of this concern for the church to stand firm and stand strong and be anchored in their faith, and out of a concern for them to look out for one another and try to prevent others around them from going down that same path. So this word, I think, is just as relevant to us today because this still happens. It's still often our experience, and there's still way too many Christians who start well and end really badly. So we need to hear this. We need to hear this for ourselves, and we need to hear it for our brothers and sisters. So there's two parts to this passage. First of all, Jude talks about us, and he talks about how we can, in our lives, develop the kind of faith that lasts, the kind of faith that's not for a moment but for a lifetime. And then he goes on and talks about how we can look out for each other and help to prevent each other from drifting away. So the first section is, is verse, really verse 20 to 21, just those two verses. There's a series of commands in there and instructions, but grammatically they all revolve around one commandment, which is verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love. Simple little phrase. Keep yourselves in God's love. That little word, keep, we gloss right past it. It doesn't seem significant, but in the book of Jude, it is. It's one of the key words, keep. Uh, Jude begins his letter by talking about the God who has kept us. We are called, we are loved, we are kept by God. And then at the end, he bookends it. At the end of his epistle, uh, which is not too far from the beginning, he comes back and says, to the one who is able to keep you. We're going to look at this next week in the doxology. The one who is able to keep you from falling. So the idea of God keeping you is that God watches over you. God sustains you. God's hand is upon your life. God holds you and he strengthens you. That's God's keeping power. But here in verse 21, Jude's talking about us. And he says, now you keep yourselves in the love of God. So there's God's responsibility to keep, but there's us. Now, let's understand what Jude is not saying. He's, he's not saying that we are responsible for maintaining our own salvation. He's not saying that you've got to keep yourselves anchored or else. He's not saying that we're in, we're in danger of just slipping away. He's not saying that, that God's love is something that we have to maintain ourselves. He's not saying that we are responsible by our own good deeds for keeping ourselves in God's good books. He's not saying the love of God is somehow conditional. But what he's saying is we are responsible for abiding in the love of God. We are responsible for keeping our hearts anchored in the love of God. God's love is an objective reality. It's never going to change. Right? God loves you right now as much as he could possibly love you. There is no way God could love you more than he does right now. In fact, there's no way God could love you less than he does right now. God's love is eternal and it is unchanging and it is an objective fact. But we can allow our hearts to drift from the love of God. We can allow our hearts to become hardened. It's a bit like 
Anna and I are married, and our marriage is an established, objective, legal fact, right? That doesn't change day to day, year to year. But what can change? Our intimacy, our closeness to one another, our actual living relationship can change. And, and I can be more or less open to Anna's love for me. And she can be more or less open to my love for her. And we can, we can grow closer or we can drift further, further away. Now, none of that changes the objective reality that we are married. But it does change the level of closeness that we can have as a married couple. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. I would guess, I mean, this is a little bit speculative, but I would guess that for every person who has ever drifted away from the faith or walked away from the faith or whatever, that if you peel back all the layers and you could look into that person's heart and you could see really, like not, not just outwardly, but really see what's going on, I would guess that you would see a heart that has drifted away from the love of God. That, that somehow, somehow that heart has become closed off to the love of God. God's love for that person never changed. God's grace for that person never changed. But somehow their heart became less receptive to God's love. Somehow through something that happened, just through inertia, whatever, somehow their heart just became detached, stopped abiding, stopped really being immersed in the love of God. And then gradually what can happen is our hearts become hardened. You know your heart can become hardened? Our hearts start growing these calluses around them which makes us more and more desensitized to the love of God. So that even when we, we hear a song sung to us about how much he loves us, it doesn't even go in anymore. It doesn't even create any response for you because your heart is already calloused. Your heart is already hardened and you're already becoming emotionally and spiritually desensitized to the love of God. That's the drift of the heart. And that is the journey of so many people who have walked away from the faith. And then the words of Revelation 2 verse 4 become true, which say, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken your first love. And it might be that as you hear me describe this, you realize this is describing you. That this has been your journey. And that while God's never stopped loving you, and he's never left you, and his grace abides for you, that you've allowed your heart to drift away from the Savior. You've allowed your heart to drift, and you've just become more and more detached. And sometimes we barely even recognize it happening because we are so good at just keeping up appearances. We're so good at masquerading, and we can come to church, we can sing the songs, we can go to life group, we can do all the Christian things. But this is a moment to reflect deeply on what's going on in your soul and ask yourself, am I keeping myself in the love of God? Am I keeping my heart close to the shepherd? Or is my heart wandering? Is my heart actually drifting away? And is there a great chasm between me and God relationally, even though his love for me has never changed? If that's true of you, don't let it spiral you down into guilt and condemnation, because that's the first thing that can happen, is we just feel terrible about ourselves, and then we go into this kind of self-pity. That's not where God wants you to be. The good news is, even if your heart is hardened towards God, he is right here with open arms welcoming you back. And he is saying to you, I'm here. I've been here all along. My love for you has never changed. He's saying to you, I am the good shepherd and I've left the 99 to come and find you today. And all I'm asking is that you would turn your heart back to me. And I'm right here. I'm right here. And he will draw you again to himself. He is not here to wag his finger at you and give you a lecture. 
He's not here to tell you off and accuse you and rub your nose in it. He's here to pour out his grace upon you, to lather you in his love and draw you right back under the shadow of his wings. That's our heavenly father. And so don't let that. What the evil one wants is that when you recognize you've got a hard heart, he will come and accuse you so that you drift further away. So that you feel, well, now it's hopeless. And now I've drifted too far and God will never take me back. And it's the five billionth time I've done the same stupid thing. That's the voice of the enemy. But the voice of the father says, no, you just come home and I'm right here. I've been here all along. He's the, he's the father waiting for the prodigal son to return. He's the father waiting for the prodigal daughter to return. He's been looking over the horizon for you every single day. He's right here. And he'll welcome you and he'll love you. He's always loved you. But he'll draw your heart again back to his heart. So my question for you really simply, are you keeping your heart in the love of God? Are you keeping your heart soft towards the Savior? Are you keeping your heart soft towards God? Or are you gradually allowing it to become desensitized and calloused and covered in spiritual barnacles? How do we keep our heart soft? Jude tells us right here. He says in verse 20, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Are you doing anything that's building your faith? Simple question. Is there anything in your life? that you're doing, that's building up your faith. Well, you say, well, I'm here, aren't I? I came to church today, right? Isn't that good enough? Yes, that, that's fantastic. Is there anything between now and next Sunday that's going to help to build you up in your faith? What about a habit of soaking your heart in this book? Have you pulled this off the shelf recently or opened up the app? What about a regular practice of soaking yourself in the Word of God? This is where God meets us. This is where the Spirit speaks to us. This is one of the ways we keep our hearts close to God. And allow him to speak to us and put ourselves in a posture of listening and receiving that. What about Jude also says, praying in the Spirit? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. That's not like, don't think this is some like weird, what does that mean? Like praying in the Spirit. As soon as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we think we're going to be like swinging from the rafters or something. This is, this is just praying with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence. This is just praying in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't pray without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? It's the Spirit who enables us, the Spirit who, who, who calls out within our spirit, Abba, Father. So the Spirit enables us to come into the presence of God. It's just praying with an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Brennan Manning uh, is, a, is a, an author, was an author, and a Catholic priest. And he tells the story of this nun who came to see him, 78-year-old woman, and she started pouring out her story to him. She'd been sexually abused by her father since she was five years old. And she was just a broken, broken woman. She just had this deep hatred for her father that she'd carried all of her life. And even though she'd become a nun, she'd gone into the convent. She was going through all the vestiges of religion and the outward trappings of religion. But inside, she was so broken and so damaged. And Brennan Manning said to her, I'd like you to try something for the next 30 days. He said, would you find a quiet space each day? And what I'd like you to do is just pray this simple prayer. One sentence. Abba, I belong to you. The, the word Abba is the word that Jesus used for father. The closest word that we could use for father. It's like daddy. It's like saying dad. Abba, I belong to you. He said that, that prayer can mirror the rhythm of your breathing. As you breathe in, say, Abba, Abba. As you breathe out, I belong to you. You see, do that for 30 days. 
Well, she wrote back to him after those 30 days, and she said, gradually I can begin to see my heart change. Gradually. It wasn't like suddenly things changed overnight, but she said, I can start to see my heart softening, even towards my father. I can see God leading me on this journey of forgiving him. This brokenness in my heart is beginning to be healed through the simple rhythm of reminding herself that God is her Abba, her father, and he deeply, deeply loves her. Now, I'm not going to tell you that is some magical incantation that just simply by saying those words, your life will be transformed. But if that prayer could give language to your soul to speak to your father and keep your heart in the love of God, then that's something to consider, isn't it? What if we all did this? What if we all for the next 30 days, once a day, maybe several times a day, found a quiet space and from the depths of our being, we said to God, Abba, I belong to you centered in the presence of God, we might just find that there's some deep healing through the Spirit that comes into our lives. Because we are reminding ourselves of what has always been true, but our hearts are so quick to forget that He is our Father, and we are His beloved. We are His beloved children. It's always been true, but your soul forgets, your heart forgets, your mind forgets, and we need to find ways of reminding ourselves. Otherwise, we will drift and drift and drift. Abba, I belong to you. So we're called to keep ourselves in the love of God. And then Jude switches and talks about how we can look out for others, others around us who may be drifting or who may have already walked away. Now, in verse 22 and 23, there are three categories of people that he describes. I want to walk you through each of these. Firstly, verse 22, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. So here we have the doubters. Doubters, these are people, this might describe you, people who are questioning, people who are unsure about what they believe, people who have got big questions or confusion about parts of the Christian faith, about God, about the Bible, about who Jesus is, about different things in the Christian worldview, really confused or uncertain or wrestling. They are the doubters. What it's really easy to do, if you're a bit, bit more sure of your faith, what it's really easy to do is to be dismissive of those people and to say, well, here's a book and here's a Bible verse. That should fix you. Box ticked. And then what happens when the books and the Bible verse don't fix them? And we just get mad. Well, I gave you the book. Here's a YouTube link. Try that. And then the YouTube link doesn't fix it. You know, and like, well, what are you talking? Maybe it wasn't the right link. On and on it goes. That is not necessarily going to fix it for them. What fixed it for you won't necessarily fix it for them. We need to do what Jude says and be merciful to those who doubt. Let me really quickly just take you through something. This is, we take uh, students at Laidlaw through this, and I think it, it may be helpful. Three stages of faith formation. And this is a natural process of growing as a Christian. The first is construction. That's when we become a Christian, and this is especially true of those of you who grew up in a Christian home, you have this received faith, faith from your parents. And usually it's not a faith we question. They just tell us stuff and we believe it. And we have this faith, and it all just kind of makes sense. And yep, that's all right. Okay, Jesus raised from the dead. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. That's fine. I believe all this stuff. That's good. Yep, got it. We don't think too much about it. That's construction. Then at a certain point, most Christians go through something called deconstruction. This has become, this kind of become a buzzword, and it's become synonymous with walking away from your faith, but it doesn't have to be. In its best sense, deconstruction is wrestling. It's getting to that point where you're like, I'm not just content to believe it because mum said it. I'm not content just to believe it because my Sunday school teacher said it. Like That was good, but I need to know what I believe. And I need to figure this out for myself. And you start asking some really hard questions. And you wrestle. For some Christians, it's a tiny little blip. For others, it is a major, major season of chaos and turmoil in their faith. 
But deconstruction is not bad. And this is what I want you to hear. It's not a bad process to go through. Jesus never condemns those who doubt. He didn't condemn Thomas, did he? He just said, come and feel the nail scars, Thomas. Because as you go through deconstruction, the idea, the goal is that you come through to reconstruction, which is a space where you have a deeper faith than you had at the beginning. And it's not a faith where all your questions are answered. It's not a faith where every box is ticked. You may have more questions than you did at the beginning, but they're better questions, and you spend a lifetime figuring them out with Jesus. It's a space where you can leave room for mystery because God's God and you're not. It's a space where you can leave room for ambiguity and for tension because that's the nature of our faith. But it's a space where you know deeply what you believe and you are grounded in the love of God and you have a living relationship with Jesus. And you can leave lots of room for disagreement and diverse opinions and all of that kind of stuff. But it's a deeper, more mature faith. Now, there's a lot of we could talk about there, but this, this stage of deconstruction, what people don't need in that space is judgment. What they don't need is someone to rush in and be the expert and the guru who answers all their questions and then walks away. What they need is for someone who will be merciful. What they need is a friend. If there's someone you know who's going through some kind of deconstruction, be a friend to them. Don't be worried. Don't keep your distance. Move in and love them and pray for them and chat to them. And yeah, there's a time to guide and provide answers and all of that, but all, what they need is someone who will walk through that tough stage of their journey with them and reflect to them the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And I want to tell you that if you are going through that stage of deconstruction, whether or not you'd name it that, but some kind of turbulent season in your faith, this is a safe space for you. We're going to be a church that loves doubters. We're never going to dismiss you. We're never going to laugh at you because God's not laughing at you. He welcomes you and we welcome you too. And you can come with all your questions and all your worries and all your wrestlings and all of your, I don't know what I believe and the whole thing just seems so, so shaky. That's fine. I won't always have all the answers and, and others may and may not, but that's okay. We will journey with you and we'll walk with you along that road. And I would just say, if you are going through that season of deconstruction, just don't go through it alone. Just don't go through it by yourself. But reach out for some. Let someone else in. And not just all your non-Christian friends, because you know what they're going to say. But let someone else in who has faith, even if you struggle with faith at the moment, and let them speak and let them love you and let them encourage you and let them walk the journey with you. So we need to be merciful to the doubters. Then the second group of people, verse 23, Jude says, save others by snatching them from the fire. So this is the drifters. In Jude's context, these were people who were drifting towards false teaching, drifting towards the fire of these false teachers and getting lured away. And this still happens today, right? There are Christians who are being lured away by various cults, toxic groups. We talked a little while ago about SCJ, that cult that is very manipulative in the way they draw Christians away. And if you know someone who is being seduced by this kind of false teaching, this kind of toxic teaching, then be intentional about reaching out to them. Again, don't keep your distance, but have a conversation. Reach out, connect with them. But I think there's another category as well of drifters, and these are the ones we talked about earlier, people that just gradually drift. People that do what we discussed earlier, whose hearts just gradually become cold towards God. And then gradually you see them less and less and less at church, less and less in your life group, 
the contact gets less and less. And then eventually they're just on a totally different path to you. And in reality, do you think in the enemy's eyes that's really any different than someone who's quickly seduced by a cult? Satan will take them however he can. If he can seduce them quickly, great. If it takes 10 years to gradually harden their heart, he'll take it that way. It's no less deadly. Either way, they're drifting towards the fire. And what Jude calls us to do, he says, snatch them from the fire. In other words, be intentional. Like, don't just stand back. If there's someone that you know, be proactive. It's really easy just to go, oh, well, you know, that person, they seem to be drifting a bit in their faith, but hey, that's, you know, they've got their decisions to make. I've got to respect that. Let them listen. When you become part of this family, we bear some responsibility for each other, don't we? Like, isn't that what it means to be a family? That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you see a brother walking away, if you see a sister walking, do you think Jesus just sits back and goes, oh, well, let's let them go? Doesn't sound like the parable of the lost sheep to me. He leaves the 99, goes after the one. And if we're going to be Christ followers, we need to take it upon ourselves. Yes, they've got their decisions to make, but you can bear some responsibility for your brother. You can bear some responsibility for your sister. If there's someone in your life group that you haven't seen for months and months and months, don't just go, oh, well, whatever, you know, maybe they'll come back, maybe they won't. Give them a call. Send them a text. Could you catch up with them for coffee? Could you check in and see how they're going? Just have a quick look down your row at church. Anyone who hasn't been there for a while, you know who sits on your row. You're all creatures of habit. You sit in exactly the same place each Sunday. Anyone who hasn't been there for a while, a few empty seats around the place. Where's that person been? It's been about six months since they've been at church. Again, it's easy. Oh, well, oh, maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. I don't care. That's their responsibility. No, no, that's not how it works in the family of God. We are a family, and we are called to love one another, and love one another means being intentional, stepping after one another if they're walking down a dangerous path. If there's someone who's not here today, maybe hasn't been for a little while, could you reach out to them? Could you connect with them? Could you love them? And then could you be bold enough to have some kind of spiritual conversation with them? Like not just about the weather or sports. I know those are the easy topics to go to, but at some point we've got to be prepared to push past that, push past the awkward barrier and actually talk about things that matter and, and bring God into the conversation. And could you love them enough to say, hey, I just want to encourage you in your faith. Just ask a little bit about how things are between you and God. That's not being nosy, it's being loving. Who is that person? Is there a name or a face coming to mind that you know they're just drifting away? Maybe not even part of this community, just someone you know, and you know they're on a dangerous road. Could you, this week, send that text, have that coffee? Who knows? You may end up being the one that God uses to snatch them from the fire. So the doubters, the drifters, and then there's a third category Jude talks about, the deniers. He says at the end of verse 23, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. It's a pretty gnarly image. It's drawn from Old Testament imagery around how our bodies can be defiled by different things and then that can make our clothing unclean. The image is of someone who's totally walked away from the faith. So this is not someone who's in danger of walking away. This is someone who's, who's gone. They've left the faith. They've renounced it. They have walked away. And often what happens when someone walks away from the faith... I shouldn't say often, sometimes what happens 
is that they can then become antagonistic and hostile and inflammatory towards Christians and towards the church. Because if they're carrying some hurt or they're carrying some grievance or they're angry about something or angry at God, that can often come out. They can turn around and be some of the most hostile people. And here's how Jude says we should respond to these people. Show mercy mixed with fear. It's interesting, isn't it? So in other words, still be merciful, but mercy mixed with fear. Now, that doesn't mean being afraid of them. It doesn't mean we should be terrified of them. The sense of fear here is the, is the same sense that fear has in the book of Proverbs, where fear is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Judah's saying, have some wisdom in the way that you deal with these people. We do need to be careful. We need to be really discerning for two reasons. One is that when you start engaging with people who are really hostile towards the Christian faith, especially when you do this online through social media, it never ends, does it? it just get, you just get drawn into this thread that goes on and on and on. It goes back and forth, back and forth, and sometimes it escalates and it becomes more and more heated and you find yourself in the middle of this drama that is actually, it's not good for your heart and ultimately it's not good for them. It doesn't change their mind. It just keeps reinforcing them in their hostility and you end up in this circular argument that never goes anywhere. At a certain point, it's okay to step back. At a certain point, it's okay to disengage because those things can go on for a long, long time. And the other thing we've got to be discerning about is that we don't allow our own faith to be compromised. Because sometimes when people are really inflammatory, you can be drawn into that. You can be drawn into that orbit. And if you're not already well-grounded in your faith, you can kind of be drawn along with it. And you can find yourself affected. You can find your own soul and heart affected by that person. So yes, love them. And yes, reach out to them. But if you're getting a lot of antagonism, negativity, and hostility back, be careful and be discerning and maybe draw someone else into that process to be with them, to be with you there. So the doubters, the drifters, the deniers. The Apostle Paul, when he got to the end of his life, he wrote that final letter, 2 Timothy, which are his final words, and he said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Paul was able to get to the end of his days and say those words. When I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say those words. In my final days, I want to be able to say the same words as Paul. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I want to be able to look back over the years of my life and see, yeah, all these ups and downs, all these twists and turns, things I saw coming, things I never saw coming. But through it all, God was faithful. And through it all, He kept me. And through it all, by the grace of God, I've kept my heart in His love. And I want you to get there too. I want you to get to that day at the end of your life and be able to say those same words. I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. It's that same word again, kept. I've finished the race. May God give you a faith that's not just for a season, but for a lifetime. May he plant seeds in you that are not just for a moment. We get all excited about how things are right now. But may God build into you a faith that lasts. A faith that stands the test of time. 
that stands through the mountaintop experiences and the deep, dark valleys that you're going to go through. Through many dangers, toils and snares, we have already come. Tis grace that's led us safe thus far. And grace will lead us home. Amen. God, we thank you for your grace. I just pray for my brothers and sisters here now, those in the room, those listening to this message, for any hearts, God, that have drifted away from you. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd search our hearts now. We're we're often not even aware enough to know, but God, if, if our hearts have drifted, our hearts are so prone to wander, and Lord, if there is that distance, God, would you draw us back to yourself this morning? Would you come and just by your, your gentleness, by your grace, just draw us back into that sweet fellowship with you? Would you show us again how great your affections are for us? And would you stir again our affection for you? God, if our heart has grown cold, we just bring it to you this morning. We pray that you would take this cold, hard heart of stone and you would give us a heart of flesh. You'd give us a soft heart, an open heart, a heart that's pliable, a heart that is in your hands, God. And would you remind us again of what has always been true, but we've so quickly lost sight of it, that you are with us and that you love us deeply and your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when we are faithless, you are still faithful because you cannot deny yourself. This is just who you are. Thank you that you are so good, so compassionate, so kind to us. Draw us back. Draw us back. Draw our hearts right back to your heart. We pray, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.